HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a platform that empowers restaurants to own their presence, profit, and relationships. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and creates an online experience that brings people to restaurants. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. And if you're just tuning in um, for our final episode of our first season, Opening Soon is a show all about opening restaurants. And we're chatting this season with industry leaders and chefs and restaurateurs and the people who will help take your business from an idea to opening soon. Yeah, and so if you've uh, listened to our podcast before, then you kind of know our story a little bit. But as Jenny said, this is our final episode of our first season. So hopefully this is the last time that I have to go into depth of why we are terrible <laughs> restaurateurs. How we failed. <laughs> and that has led us to now talk to people who are doing much better than us and kind of get some, some good knowledge for, for you listeners out there when you're working on your project. Um, and we're joined today with Nate Adler of Gertie in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And before we do that, before we talk about Nate and his story and, and numbers, we're going to take a, uh, a couple of takeaways from our conversation last week where we had Crystal Mobieni and uh, Michael Chair now talking about your digital presence. And number one from that episode was, again, focus. Um, so, you know, concentrate on your strengths and where your strengths don't lie. Find a partner outsource it, find a service, uh, whatever you can do that will help you, whether it's website design or photography, uh, don't feel like you need to do everything yourself. Yeah, in particular with the website, you know, there's platforms like Bento that now can really help make it super easy and and plug and play. Uh, The next key takeaway for us was find patterns of success in your social media. So uh, this was very tactical that I really appreciated Michael sharing with us. Basically, he was like, go through every three to six months and look at your top 20 posts and look at your top 10 bombs and then look at why people engage with those and then try to use that content to create new content. And I'm not going to lie it till it. We immediately went back to the office and had our social media person, Akiko, start working on that. So thanks, Akiko. (laughs) And number three is to create moments in your space to pique consumers' interest. And so I know that, you know, it may sound silly to have a, you know, story-worthy or an Instagram-worthy moment in your space, but in a lot of ways it can help your consumer and your guest find an easy way to share their experience with their audience and then in turn, you know, bring more people into your restaurant, more butts and seats. That's the goal. That's the goal. The next one was building a web presence early. So as soon as you have your name and your lease, it doesn't hurt. Put up a website splash page. Um, Make sure that the Instagram and Facebook handles and all the handles are available for social and set up those accounts so you can start building your brand. Um, And, you know, platforms like Bento can go ahead and help you with that splash page. And this is so you don't even realize it's so important to have this and start capturing emails early because once those people have gone to your website and gone, they're lost, you know. And lastly from that episode was to make sure that you have a seamless connectivity with your reservation apps and um, your delivery apps, things like Resi. They're super popular. That's how people are booking tables these days. Um, If you're not connected to those, then you're going to have a lot of manpower that's trying to book reservations, and it's just not 
keeping up with the time. So make sure that you're connected. And again, most of your um, most of your partners like a bento box are going to do that stuff for you. So make sure and check them out. And now on to today's topic. So restaurants live and die by the margins. So, you know, you have your doors open, you've done this huge marketing blowout and planned your restaurant and um, built everything out and you are getting guests. So what do you do about making sure that you know your numbers, you know your P&L, you know what your margin should be to achieve profitability? How much money do you need to have in the bank? This is information that would have been super helpful to Alex and I when uh, we had our six-month stint foray into uh, owning goods. Absolutely. But, um, but Nate Adler, who's here with us today, knows numbers and is going to help us dial in where we need to maximize. Right. So Nate is a native New Yorker and has, uh, after school, worked his way through several Union Square Hospitality Group restaurants, uh, climbed his way up to the beverage director for both locations of Blue Smoke. Uh, after that, Nate partnered with Jonah Miller and uh, joined the Wertes team as the GM, the beverage director, and the managing partner, and has also served as the interim CFO of Delicious Dining Group, and that's a role that speaks to why he's here today to chat numbers. Uh, lastly, but obviously not least, in February of 2019, Nate opened Gertie, an all-day restaurant in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, welcome, Nate. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. So I know, you know when I first met Nate at Gertie, Alex and I and our daughter go and have a lovely lunch there. And he's, he told me, we start chatting, and um, the first thing he says to me is, I'm a restaurant numbers guy, which you don't hear people say often, but there should be more. Um, so tell us a little bit about like how how that happened for you. Yeah, sure. So... When I was in college, I studied business undergraduate at Penn, and I ended up being the only person in my graduating class to go into hospitality, um, and it was sort of... Um, out of how many people you were the only one to go like into? It was like 300. And uh, you were the only one out of 300 people yeah, in business all, school to go into hospitality. <laughs> they all, they all probably like thought you were crazy. Too. <laughs> He's like, they all went to, like, by really? the way, you did all this and now you're Yeah, people are like, are like envious of me, but really when it comes down to it, they would They're never like, actually what were you want fucking what I thinking? Yeah. Right. And Nate's dad um, is here also listening in and he's in the back semi-smirking. <laughs> like, yes, he went to Wharton and then went into hospitality, which I love. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, good decision, bad decision. <laughs> it's uh, a great decision. It's a good story. We'll see where it ends up taking me. Look, Nate's got uh, a smile on his face. <laughs> so that's, that's really all, that all that matters. At the end of the day, so. Um, so while I was there, um, I started going down the finance and consulting trajectory. Um, ended up doing a couple summer internships in that sector and found out pretty quickly that it really just wasn't what I wanted to do. I grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side. And from a young age, actually, I think in large part due to my father, um, we cooked all the time at home. Uh, and sort of the big events for the family were like, let's cook a big meal. And, you know, over the summers, we would go to the farmer's markets and uh, have these fond memories of him coming back with this, like, green mesh bag after a run with, like, Ronnie Brook Farm chocolate milk Aww. and, <laughs> um, you know, some leeks and potatoes or something. Uh, but I just got really into cooking at a young age. I had a gourmet magazine subscription was like oh, my good old gourmet. 13th or 15th birthday present. Yeah. And I like read it and I cooked out of it and sort of just like becoming more passionate about it. And as I grew older, that passion turned into reading a lot about restaurants, like reading Anthony Bourdain's book, reading Danny Meyer's book. And one summer I was in New York City doing this consulting internship and with the income that I was making, I would just go out to dinner all the time. I would start thinking about it. I started writing about it. I started really like sort of living and breathing it. And when I went back to school for my senior year, I had this idea that I wanted to figure out a way to do an independent study in hospitality management. So I convinced this professor who really had no real like background in hospitality other than just being a f like a food and wine and beer geek um and he agreed to to do it for me it was like really kind of crazy is this the takeout business this is the takeout business okay. so i started my own takeout business it was sort of what um 
Maple was, which failed. Uh, it was like delivery only uh, restaurant. This did not fail. It actually probably is my most successful <laughs> business to date. Wow. Um, and did you sell it? No, it, it was sort of this like, um, basically we found this commissary kitchen space on I the see. outskirts of the campus and all of the ordering was done via an internet platform and um, like phone calls. Uh, and Remember that? You used to have to call for your food, yeah. your delivery food. Yeah. What? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think people, I, I still do it actually yeah. because... You always get to know the specials. Yeah. And like, people are Can people call Gertie and order food? Yeah, people there, call. There's a landline for people to call. Oh, order yeah. Food? I mean, you just call the, the restaurant line. Right. You'd be surprised. Like, a lot of our regulars will now, I mean, it's smart, call ahead and, like, you just pick it up, you know, and bring it back yeah. to your office or whatever. Um, so, anyway, long story short, it was $12 an hour for kitchen space in West Philadelphia. Whoa. <laughs> and uh, because of that, I hired a chef. We opened the thing. We did really well. And then after, I only signed like a month-to-month lease and the landlord was like, you got to get out of here. Like you're using too much of the space. Oh and it's man, too cheap. he's like, and, I didn't believe, he like, and I even said to him, like, took a gamble on this yeah, poor college kid. He's yeah, like, yeah, totally. $12. And, crushed it, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, you're crushing Well, their it. goal was to like have 10 different operators in this kitchen, but I it was see. a tiny kitchen. Yeah. And I took the whole thing over and it yeah. was like, anyway. So long, long and short of it is that, um, that's when I really started thinking about it as a career. Um, and I came back home after the landlord wouldn't let me renew the lease started living with my parents again and thanks dad <laughs> took a job at, uh, <laughs> at actually at Mom, at not Momofuku, at uh, Budokan oh yeah. because Steven Starr was famous in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia actually right. really wasn't what he is today in New York and well he was already huge in Philly though I mean Budokan and he yeah had 26 restaurants in Philadelphia yeah he was huge there continental yeah didn't mm-hmm. really know like it wasn't a foodie yeah. city at the time, and uh, one of his guys was on the board of directors of um, of my little takeout joint. Right. And they gave me a job, like being a manager in training at Budokan. That was my first time ever carrying three plates. It was my first time ever busing a table. I had never worked in a restaurant prior to that time, and then ended up getting a job um, as the opening uh, floor manager at Blue Smoke in Battery Park City for Danny. Right. Um, so that's like how it all happened. So it started with a degree in business right. and then ended up flowing into this career in hospitality where my whole MO was, well, if I'm going to make it, the only way I'm going to make it is if I drive that, drive the numbers, but mm-hmm. also like, even if I wasn't going to open my own places, that the niche and the expertise that I had was, oh, I can actually teach people how to get better at this. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think when you were at Blue Smoke, needs. did you like did you get exposure to like the PNL and all those kind of things at yes. Blue Smoke and you got training in that too? Yeah, I actually will never forget this class I took. They had amazing manager training programs mm-hmm. there and they had a class called how to read a PNL. Yeah. I mean, but this is an important thing. It's like people who are wanting to open a restaurant, it's like it's yeah, really hard I mean, to get the to get access to mm-hmm. be able you know, to see those things. Since and... he's here, like my dad has been in finance his whole career. Right. He can't read a restaurant PNL. <laughs> what do you feel like is specific about a restaurant PNL that's different that to like a different business? Um that like really people should be focusing on. Man. It's a business that is so low margin yes yeah that every line item matters right so it's not you know you can't just like stick a you know five thousand dollar a month line item on there without really deciding that that's something that you're spending money on to make money in the long run for right right um and i think that more than that like it's a brick and mortar business so like the lines on the pnl are actual supplies you know it's food and beverage it's uh it's not as for me it's really straightforward because it's all i know right but i can look you know you have the four walls it's brick and mortar you have it's like pretty simple to me it's like cost of goods and it's labor and it's this and it's that 
and I could name every single one of those things, but what makes it, I think, more difficult to comprehend maybe for any like layman is the percentages matter. Whereas like, I think in other businesses, the percentage of the overall sales isn't really something that you look at. In restaurants, it's like, if you don't hit this percentage of sales for mm -hmm. this category, you're going to lose money. Can you talk about like how that breaks down for like some of the restaurants, yeah. you know, that you've been a partner in and like specifically what people should be looking at when they're forecasting percentages yeah, in totally. their business plans? And um, so when you, you know, I can start from, from the top down, um, the cost of goods sold is going to be your first line item of the P and L and each of those categories um, is a cost of their parent sales category. Right. So like when people say food cost, oh, you want to hit, you want to be below 30% food cost. What does that mean? It means that over the course of a month, let's say, or the course of a year, any time period that if you spend $3 on food, you better be making $10 on that dish. Let's say it's uh, a hamburger, right? So you want to be spending less than $3 on a $10 hamburger. Um, same thing with beverage. like, And why people say you make more money on alcohol right. is that you can charge more just in the mind's eye for, like, people don't know what alcohol costs. So, you know, it's all about comparative pricing. Yeah. Like There's also less what, variables, when I feel like, when you're pouring a drink versus, you know, cook, putting together... A plate so of food, much easier to get a little heavy on manage a beverage program than it butter is butter and salt or things that like to like you said they really program. break down on the pennies for each thing. Yeah, the recipes are way more complicated for right. in I the think kitchen. There's also like variable costs too that come in like if you know butter tomatoes can be aren't the same price yeah, every day. Tomatoes are so different prices are you, every day. Yeah. And yeah. Butter can be really expensive sometimes totally. and yeah. I mean we're dealing with this now at Gertie more than ever because it's finally spring and summertime right and we're a produce driven restaurant you're like yay and produce yeah you're Ouch, like produce yeah. Ouch, fresh produce <laughs> is very expensive yeah totally yeah I but mean, it's how you want to eat and it's like it's so yeah, hard you go from like getting cabbage and potatoes which right. are already cheap and those are the things that are local and seasonal and, right you know in the winter right um to, to now like asparagus and <laughs> spring peas and yeah broccoli and, and i know like, and it's like you want to eat those things but you're like do you cringe a little bit? You're like, fuck, my oh, food yeah. cost. Ah. Yeah, you do. And, yeah. and you really have to like, because people, yes, people know that potatoes are cheaper inherently than asparagus, right? right. So they're willing to spend more on asparagus, but are they willing to spend more on like a local asparagus versus somebody that gets asparagus all year round because they're getting it from california or mexico or right. you know south of the border yeah. and you have to know your audience too yeah. i mean i think that's like the fortunate thing about new york diners you know being here in new york city but i agree like you know in other parts of the country maybe they don't care as much and yeah yeah but inevitably people do care about pricing people do care <laughs> yeah. and i mean it's because we were having a pre-interview before this and we were talking a little bit about delivery food and you know nate was like people are very inelastic which is like obviously a very business term meaning like they're they have no price and they're very price sensitive to they're not willing to go out they're not willing to go outside, they're of, their outside of what they're willing to spend for a sandwich right. or a, a basket of fries or whatever it is Are, do you feel like 30 percent is the number for food cost in is new there? york city it has to be lower than 30 percent at yeah. this point if you go to other markets 30 percent is like sort of rule of thumb yeah in new york now it's got to be like sub 28 why is that? Is that because our labor costs are higher or rents are higher or everything is, everything higher. is higher? It's just yeah. the privilege I mean, of breathing New yeah, York City no, air is higher. Is, yeah, everything is higher. So yeah. like if you're getting if you're getting, you know, clamped down on rent and your rent cost just went up by a percent, where are you gonna make up that percent? Right. You either right. take it to the bottom line and just lose the money right. or you figure out a way to charge more money for your food or make more money on it. Right. Um and that's really where um, restaurateurs are in an incredibly difficult position right yeah. now at this moment because we can't like the the consumer doesn't isn't reacting to the fact that over the last five years the minimum wage has gone up 
by five dollars an hour yeah we're at fifteen dollars an hour here it's, in new york yeah i yeah. mean it's it's massive and like yes everybody deserves to make that and have a living wage and that's minimum wage and so that means that right your that's the bottom floor. line line right. cooks or dishwashers are making that which means everybody everyone else, else wants even wants more, more than that. that right and the minimum salary in new york is actually which is dollars it's all fair it's about educating the consumer i don't though, think that's is... fair <laughs> frankly i don't think that one is fair which one the, it's $58,000 for the minimum salary. Right. Okay. Basically, they're trying. what they're trying to say is like, you have to put them on hourly and pay them overtime if right. you want to pay if them you... less than 58000 right. right. But it just basically goes from like an industry that was becoming more professional to now like removing the, the professionalism yeah. and this career-driven mentality of your entry-level floor managers because they're hourly right like, and then they don't want to be hourly it's a psychological thing whether or not you're paying them the same or less as they would be on salary it does make it feel less professional to people when they're told they can't be salary totally they have right. to be hourly for those reasons that is definitely a challenge yeah so i mean that that brings us to the next line item which yeah. is labor yeah and um i'm sort of like sick of hearing people say rent is the biggest um inhibitor to making money in restaurants like rent is so high rent is so high but rent is a fixed cost right you know what you're paying every month it doesn't change for the most part unless you're paying percentage rent um and it's something that as you do more business it just gets lower that percentage gets lower right. so you know what you're going into do would i ever recommend signing a bad lease and like no. paying yeah. too much absolutely <laughs> not but like do you stick the by the ten percent rule in your? So I think ten percent is high. You think ten percent is high? Yeah, I mean, I think ten percent of sales, ten percent of gross you, sales for your percentage I would of your rent. Never sign a lease where you're projecting um, that rent was ten percent of your of your projected what's the, sales. What's the appropriate number? Uh, I think it's eight. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's similar to we had Aaron and Agatha from Oven Leon earlier in the season, and they. I mean, I've I've always heard just from like business school and like performers and whatever, like no more than ten percent. But that's definitely the high end, and I th they were they said something similar. They were like, we try to I look mean, for seven to eight percent in Manhattan. It's really hard. It's to hard. Do less than ten. Well, I think yeah. to your point too that there's there's always gonna be something that's gonna go higher, higher. than you project. So if you leave yourself zero cushion, then you're right. gonna be. Diving into the, the very fact, little bit of profit the margin is, that there though, is. Yeah. yeah. The fact is, again, rent, I don't think is going to make, isn't the make or break. It's labor. Right. And so if you sign a lease where, you know, your pro forma says your rent is 12%, but your revenue is three, four, five million because you're on main and main, then it, it sort of doesn't yeah. matter. Um, so, I mean... Anyway, going back to going labor, back to labor, yeah, that's the number one biggest expense, and it's just impossible right now to for anyone to feel good about what they're paying in labor. Um, and so, you know, you have ways to mitigate that, right? Your style of service, your um, how does your menu break down? Is it something that's prep heavy, and so you don't need people on the line? And like, there are ways. And you have what I would recommend for anybody opening a restaurant business is whatever you program as your schedule going into day one and your program, your labor uh, program, like you need to make sure that it works within your budget. Yeah. Right. And set it up to at the lowest possible place like the most efficient it could possibly be and hire for that. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to scale up, that's the most beautiful problem. Yeah. To that's ever a good have. problem to have because yep. then you're just completely outstripping that. Right? Yes. So but I think if sometimes, you start yeah. in under a mentality where you're like, Oh yeah, we can have, you know, we're going to have three people in the kitchen and then we're going to have three prep cooks and like yada, 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 because we think we're going to do, four million in sales and it's going to be crazy you're not going to start at four million in sales yeah. ever yeah so, so start, start really lean really, really lean yeah skeleton staff partners working the line right. partners working service like i do right every day right now <laughs> um and god you know god willing that's yeah ridiculous thing to say but like 
if you get there, you get there, you get there. and then you get to hire a manager and get off the floor. Do you guys pay? So obviously it's in the business plan for you to hire management, but you're like, so we're talking about starting really lean and planning for that. Do you guys pay yourself salaries now? Um, I just started, started. paying myself. Mazel tov. A That's very, a big yeah. milestone. Mazel. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a, <laughs> a, a good thing to be doing, yeah. but um, well, at this point it's like, I do think that, frankly, like if the business can't afford to pay me a nominal salary at this point, like it might as well not be working. Yes. Right? Yeah, we talk about and that a lot. And you, people yeah. have said to me, and this is why I sort of did it, it was like um, that they never believe in partners not making a salary because it just, it's, uh, you'll just keep putting it off, putting it off, exactly. putting it off. And, take that moral high ground of like, Hey, look, look at me. I'm not taking a salary. It's not good. Yeah. You don't want and that. And then it just like, it'll affect your employees. It affects, it'll affect it your customers. The, the, the way they come in. Restaurant, you. Think, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's something as Alex is saying too, that like we've heard from several guests on this show is that like build it into your business plan. Make sure that you are thinking about paying yourself and it's not a hero's move to not pay yourself. Yeah. I mean, the it can one... be a last ditch effort in the first couple of months to right. get you through something, right. but it shouldn't be a long term. It shouldn't be a long-term plan. plan. But that's another question. Like what levers have you pulled with labor? Like you talked, like you mentioned briefly, like the menu. Um, so what, like, yeah, can you so be we, um, we open as a counter service restaurant. I mean, that was the biggest factor to help mitigate front of house labor, um, was to say, even if it's really busy during the day, everyone's going to have to go to one central ordering spot and we're not going to need more than, you know, we're not going to have servers circulating on the floor. So you guys have um, like a couple of food runners and so we have like on our busiest brunch shifts, we have one, uh, one counter server, one food runner and then management. Wow. So we literally, I mean, again, like I'm one of those managers. So yeah. long term, that's not, you know, it's cheaper right. to have a ten dollar an hour tipped employee than it is to have you. How do you feel there. like the customers understand that? Have they? So we opened to it? as a counter service restaurant for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they reacted quite poorly to it <laughs> <laughs> at dinner. And right. We've yeah. now changed that model um, for dinner only. So you ha you actually have servers now. Full for service at dinner, and okay. unfortunately, because of how slow it's been at dinner, um, we didn't need to scale up our staff right for right dinner. so, so now you're just paying higher labor for, yeah the, no we were not paying higher not labor paying, costs yeah. but we're bringing full service to the tables right um and if the restaurant was busy at dinner we would have to add one or two people which we wouldn't have had to add in a counter service model but you the the bet is that you're gonna have a higher average check people are gonna buy yeah, more I was wine just gonna ask that you're gonna do have you, more yeah. alcohol with somebody with literally service. selling yeah have you seen floor. that hold like hold to be true um yeah slightly right now i mean we haven't done a great job of training our staff yet to get yeah. to that point and it was hard to transition like basically one week to the next um where we hired a staff that we knew was novice and we knew could have that counter interaction but they hadn't served tables yet. Right. It was a different kind of employee. Um, so that's the other thing is like, you're looking for two so different types of people. Yeah, so now we have to look for, we're in the process of looking for that person or. So if you people. need a serving job and you want to yeah. have, be at a cool spot in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Gertie is hiring. Um, hello at Gertie.nyc. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a good way to mitigate it. I think menu design is a really, really important thing for back of house. And, also, back of house labor is just what kills you. Like, it's not the front of You guys of house. are making, like, everything from scratch, right? So... Yeah, so... How do you feel like that played into... Because, I mean, your labor obviously goes up mission. when you're... part of your mission, yeah. Um, I actually... If the restaurant... And again, like, you throw the perform... You should just throw the performance out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good... No, don't you throw have, your performance. No, do not throw your performance. Your, your investors want to see your performance. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's really important for you to go in into something with expectations, right? And to really get a good idea of what 
sort of like what your conservative estimate is and like i think that the the projections that i build are are usually pretty accurate so take that back don't throw it out but (laughs) (laughs) it is you don't know how you're going to get to the number that you think you're going to get to or if you're going to get to that number until i'd say a year in yeah you just don't have enough you don't know who you are you don't know exactly how your business model is going to work out um you don't know what's going to be popular when people are going to come in why they're coming in are they coming to drink are they coming to drink coffee instead of booze are they coming to eat pastries instead of chicken like you just don't know so um you know my sort of like rule would be or my thought is you sort of figure it out as you go along and it's all about reacting and being pragmatic um, and using your pro forma or your business plan as a way to look back and say well this is what we were expecting here if we're not making it there where are we going to make it somewhere else yeah i mean that's really practical advice yeah let's take a um super quick break to hear from our friends at bento box and we'll come back with more Jill founded Cheesesteak in 2004 as an old-school cheese shop in Alexandria, Virginia. Jill, also known as Cheese Lady, left the software development world to open Cheesesteak and share her cheese and wine passion with others. Cheesesteak now has four locations in the D.C. area, plus a cheese-centric restaurant and wine bar. Bento Box connected Cheesesteak with people by designing a new website that sells her customized gift baskets, cheese plates, and home meal kits. Cheesesteak is one of 4,000 that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. All right, welcome back. We're, uh, again, we're chatting with Nate Adler of Gertie. And we're talking numbers and we've talked a little bit about, um, obviously about labor costs and about your percentage of rent and um, food costs and beverage costs. Are there any other like key numbers in the P&L that you think were surprising or... Um, that the people should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I think the most Im- important thing to talk about that is pretty simple in concept, but not a, a lot of people understand um, when it's just like in front of them and in a daunting row of numbers is that there's a major difference between variable costs and fixed costs. Yeah. Um, the variable costs are ones that you both budget and uh account for on a percentage basis so as i said food cost uh is one of them uh as you sell more you have to buy more food uh labor as it turns out which is why i think it is the most difficult one is really not a fixed cost uh, sorry is really not a variable cost in my mind yeah um which is why i said build your business plan based on a fixed cost like level of labor um but as you go down the P&L, most of those costs become more and more fixed. So the next one would be direct operating expenses, which um, is mainly supplies, like things that you buy um, to serve on. China glass and silver, disposables. Uniforms like us. Uniforms <laughs> like to it, yeah. Um, yeah. Which we need to talk about later. Um, <laughs> and um, things of that nature, those are actually... For the most part, many of those are variable, yeah. but it's really good to budget them on like a monthly basis. Right. Um, like your linen contract your linen can contract. kill you. Uh, it's more expensive than purchasing, just putting that out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, and then as you get further down, the only other percentage cost is like credit card fees. Right. Because as you do more business, you just have to, you know, but it's like a fixed percentage. It's not... A fixed cost. Of your sales, um, yeah. And you have to account for that. Uh, and then you get into these fixed costs, which you just have to overcome. Like, they're numbers that you can decide, you know, is it worth spending? What is it worth spending on, like, a publicist per month? But those are, that's, like, a per-month contract. What is it worth spending on an accountant? Right. But that's a per-month fee, so you have to figure out a way to, to overcome that. Like, that's how yeah. this margin ke- just continues to decrease and decrease and decrease. Um, utilities, repairs and maintenance, like 
don't forget about utilities. Um, <laughs> that's, we can tell you that. We can, we can tell you that yeah. story. That's we what happened with goods. Utilities. Yeah, we forgot about fucking utilities. Yeah, don't yeah. forget about utilities. But it, it's true. Yeah, it, it's a real um, thing. It's a real thing. Internet, and, it's all, yeah. Uh, trash removal in New York City Tra- is It's so expensive. expensive. Insanely expensive. And we try to do things sustainably, so we have composting. And they just they charge you more like for. more for I know. And it's like, <laughs> I know. And if like, it's I'm like, trying to help here. I know. It's everything so crazy that you're anymore. trying to help actually like, and we believe in this. So we continue to do this. But if you believe in the, in saving the environment, you will spend more money. Yeah. I, like all of the compostable disposables are so expensive. Maybe double the yeah. price. Right. Like there are just, you know, sustainable farmers, like, their products are double the price. I mean, it's Those paper it's straws that everybody wants to complain straws. about. They're like, <laughs> they're like they're very expensive the people, so drink out uh, of them and, and savor it. your paper straw. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'd say don't sleep on anything. Like, think about everything that needs to go into every business. Um, if somebody hit, doesn't hit have, me up, if you have any questions, I was going to ask you that. If somebody doesn't have you as their partner, how do you recommend? Do you recommend? chatting with an accountant before do they need to find somebody are there resources to um to my knowledge the resources are few and far between right, so we'll that's why we're Nate's, doing this show yeah. and we'll give you nate's cell phone number <laughs> yeah. so you that, can text message uh, nate at one o'clock in the morning when you're stressing <laughs> out over your pew seven 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 so we talked uh, yeah. we've gone through a little bit of the pnl but we kind of want to go backwards a little bit and you know given your experience with gertie and hear a little bit about fundraising and and that that process and and not just how you raised funds but like mm-hmm. how much you thought you needed and did you do that correctly did you yeah now that you're actually open like what did your performa look like versus your you know totally. first several months in business and how you know you said throw your pnl out the window but not really how did it all shake how out did it all shake out yeah so it's a broad Question. <laughs> I'll start with the I'll start with the fundraising in the 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 pre opening budget uh, piece of it. Um, so I was telling you guys before in the pre interview when I first went out to investors, I gave like a sliding scale of potential capital raise figures, um, and over the course of the, of two years trying to find a space. He looked for two years, you guys. Two long years. Anyways, okay. And uh, if it all works out, it'll be worth it. We'll see. Yet to be seen. But uh, during that time, it was, there was a sort of, there was a long, there was a spectrum of what I could spend on a build out. Mm -hmm. If you find what's called a key money space where you buy, basically buy the lease off somebody and all their assets you spend money up front and you get it all, but the build out costs are, are much uh, less. It's, it's minimal compared to a full build out. And then there's what I did, which was take a space with dirt on the ground and no storefront and build a restaurant. Um, which we've seen work out for people. I mean, Missy was, Missy Robbins was here a couple yeah. weeks ago and oh, she cool. was like, there was a literal truck right. in the space. And of Robert Lilia. was saying, Robert that we had on, um, talking about liquor licenses, licenses. Was basically saying that the key money deals are you know all but gone away in new york because people will just wait and i don't business to go uh, out and then totally i don't uh, people that spend key money i i know some that have had success but they're yeah they're few, few and far, far between, between. Right. Like you just wait and wait and wait you know you wait three months Somebody and you're like oh well like I, I know friends that like are opening their third space and or open, just open their third space and they were like we don't really want to open another place but if this price ends up going down like we'll take it because it's an awesome location and and then you know the they vultures did. are I circulating mean, yeah. yeah you just go back oh so what's it what do you guys want for yeah. this <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah there's that and then there's what i did and i ended up um having to raise Basically, what happened was I found what's called a development deal. So I, I found a real estate developer who was willing to put in a little bit of capital mm-hmm. um, to help me build out the space, knowing that it was going to bring something to the tenants above, to the community, 
um, and inevitably like pay them rent. Right. Um, and they had that amount of capital in the budget uh, in order to do so. And another, I don't know if this is a piece of advice, but uh, maybe not for your first place, but after you get somewhat of a reputation, you can make a uh, argument that you can do it better than the next guy. Right. Right now, there is a lot of money in the real estate development world to help them amenitize their assets. So right. for and people in cities, like that's a that is a good piece of advice and a good tip for people in cities. Like definitely look for yeah. these developers who want to yeah. bring Network with quote developers. unquote tenant amenities because that is a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing and. Right. How and where do you network with developers? Where do you find these sad show? developers? Right? Um, <laughs> Any advice there? Wow. <laughs> hustle, honestly. Yeah. Like a lot of hustle, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, just continuing to find your way towards the right person. Um, Stalking on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, most, most developers... kind of like wink, wink. No, I, I most developers aren't it. doing one building, so right. the chances are good that there's right. a colleague, there's a, somebody you else see in the somebody, I mean, it's research. You, like, see yeah. people that are in the space, like, real estate developers that are in the space that are forward-thinking. Not yeah. everyone is going to do this. Um, and there's definitely a sliding scale there of appetites. Like, right. some real estate developers... For the right tenant, i.e., like Danny Meyer, of the world, or right, you know, um, uh, some other big player that I can't, Drew Carmelini, right? They'll build out the whole space for you. I mean, yeah. they'll right. put the money down. So, and there's always room to negotiate. I mean, I think that's always a key point too. Yeah, um, negotiate for sure. Yeah, uh, I learned at business school that everything in life is a negotiation. Everything. My my fiance doesn't really. Uh, abide by that rule no. but, yeah, or enjoy <laughs> enjoy that fact about just me. need one of you uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just need one of you to um, yeah. so yeah inevitably I found these developers who were willing to put a little chunk in and I said to myself well I could have my dream restaurant for 75% of the cost of what it would have been mm-hmm. like, all in if I had fronted this bill it would have probably been um, you know, it would have been 25 to 30% more than it ended up being. And I raised, uh, $920,000. Yeah. Um, that's a significant savings. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, came all from like my pocket. So, right. No, yeah. no, but I mean, it's, but it's other pe- less partners that you have to ask. Right. And yeah, it's... so then you get a higher equity share. I mean, that, that is like real money in the long run. Yeah, it's For a sure. serious amount of money. And that fit yeah. in your budget by the time you opened your... So, yeah, I I will say, like, I pride myself. I did it at Huertas. At Huertas, I did it for Delicious when they were opening um, Legacy Records, which I was involved in, um, a couple other consulting clients. But the budgeting part, I'm really sort of... I'm just very... I'm so exacting about it. Yeah. Like, And I'm constantly going back looking at what needs to be spent still what um what's left on the budget where can i cut out and when i have come up with a number for the overall cap raise like that has been the number that was needed so you hit your like project at Wertus, yeah. i mean again yet to be seen at gertie but at right. Wertus, when i walked in um jonah had actually raised like 75 percent of the capital and after doing all the budgeting, I was like, we need more money. And he was like, oh, do we really? And I was like, yes, we need more money. Like, <laughs> you always did, need more than you think totally you do. We need more money. Yeah. So we, we went out and raised another, um, it was something like 200000 And in the first summer of that business, we ended up, our bank account ended up getting down under $20,000. Yeah. Never went into the red, thank God. Yeah. But we needed every single one of those pennies. Um, and I think Gertie might end up being the same way. Um, it's hard when you're getting started. So that note, you talked a little bit when we were having dinner earlier, but um, about kind of the amount that you feel like you need in reserve once you've done all this build out, once you've like covered all the mistakes or the things that pop up. Yeah, totally. Do you feel, feel like that is, is that a percentage number? Is that a flat number? Um, I mean, it, it obviously depends on, to a certain extent, like what your 
budgeting to take in as revenue, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a lot of it is about cash flow. Yeah. So if you're if you know you're going to be bringing in cash, even if the expenses are you know are higher and you're losing some money up front. A lot of the expenses can be, you know, it's it ebbs and flows because you have accounts payable, which is 30 days right. net, and you have credit cards. And I'm not recommending that you do things on credit, but the the natural ebbs and flows of a restaurant business, no matter what, even if you have $300,000 in the bank, sometimes over the course of a month, it'll go down 60000 and go back up 60000 right. just depending on the timing of the payments. Um, so... You know, if you're if you know you're going to be doing revenue because you're like a sweet green of the world, or right. you're like setting up in uh, in Times Square, you know, in a really high volume neighborhood, then you probably maybe you don't need as much. You don't need as much working um, capital to have. Yeah, um, or maybe you need more because like there's just so your expenses are also incredibly high because you have a huge staff and whatever. But my rule of thumb is basically like three months rent and two to three months payroll. So whatever you're projecting for that, that's, I think, conservative, three months. I did I did two. I usually do around two, which is like 100000 maybe just over $100,000. Um, I think if you have $100,000 and you know how to manage your money, hopefully that's going to be enough to, to give you the runway that you need. So just make sure that when you're looking at raising money and all that kind right. of stuff that you're putting in that extra cushion. For yeah, you got to have the cushion. You have to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't have the cushion, if you didn't raise the money, where, when where do would you it come s- from? Yeah, do you stop? Do you give up the dream? No. I mean, obviously it depends, like, how dismal the business is at that time. Like, right. if you're, I mean, you guys... We no, know. You know. <laughs> so we sold the business. We're like, um, yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, so I don't think we had the appetite for the risk, and that's why we sold the business. And I think we also were like, I didn't think we see were, a way out of it. Yeah, I think that, that when like, we started to put, when we personally in our business started to put together, you know, best case scenarios, it still never climbed out of, right. A, you know, an unappealing situation for all of us. So and we would have had I think to understanding have, that and yeah. having that sort of. Yeah, it's also like, where that is. do you, you know, some people go into this and they had no experience in restaurants, like, I want to open a restaurant, right. and then you're like... Don't do that, people. Then you're yeah. like, shit, I really didn't want to open a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, right. for me, I this is my, like, career. Right. You know, right. I'm, and everybody involved in this restaurant, it's their career. It's their career. So yeah. it, it would be a crazy move to, like, not find a way to increase that runway um, with all the work that went into it. Um, and so, you know, there, there are ways that you can, you know, get smart about it. You can, you know, I, I would also advise this. I applied for a line of credit. Yeah. I don't, I haven't had to take it, which is great, but, um, was it fairly easy to get for a restaurant? (laughs) It's really hard. Yeah. I I had to collateralize it on my own account. But it is really, I mean, that is really good advice for any business person is like, as soon as you do like try to develop a relationship with the bank as early as possible. And once you do develop that relationship, ask them for a line of credit. And even, even if it's it's small, once you start with 20 grand or 30 grand, whatever you can add to it to this outside of New York city, it's a lot easier to get a bank loan, a small business bank loan. Um, you know, I have friends that have a restaurant in upstate New York and they, financed it on a bank loan. Wow. I mean, you know, it's wow. like... It's like you hardly hear of that happening in New York City. Yeah, yeah, you just don't hear of that happening here. Don't get too excited. <laughs> but if you are... But that is good advice. I mean, go and look at Because it is, you know, for a restaurant owner, I think people don't talk about that either. It's like, for any business owner, debt is way cheaper than equity in the long run in a lot of ways. Did I... I think you mixed it up. But debt is, is more expensive only because you have to pay interest on well, it. Well, but, but you get to keep more. You it, as, you the, as owner, the owner. is yeah. what I'm saying. It's yeah, like yeah. you as the owner for like if you debt finance versus totally. equity it's finance. It's all your equity. It's yeah. all your equity. So while you have to pay for it, but it's also you write it off of tax. It's like a tax deduction because when you pay the interest. So yeah. it's there's still ways that reduce. No, there's, there's appealing. The reason that restaurants don't take on debt and I would never advise it is because they lose money. Money, yeah. <laughs> right. 
So I don't know. It's a pipe dream. Anyways, um, let's move on to some lightning round questions. Oh. Is there um, a DA outside right now? I don't know. We're at, this Something is pump them, yeah. yeah. Roberta's, Roberta's is uh, they are. This is our only nighttime episode, so yeah. <laughs> we're we're finishing off with a bang. Um, Nate, one word that describes how you feel about being your own boss. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> what about what's the hardest part about being your own boss? Um, waking up in the middle of the night sweating. <laughs> <laughs> the fear that no one's going to walk in the next day. and Will that ever go away? Like when the, there's a line out the door and around the corner? No, it never goes it's away. still there. Because it could no, always it stop, could always right? be more. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it can always stop. Like I'm, yeah. I'm the, unfortunately, maybe it's realist. I, I call myself a realist. <laughs> most people would call me a pessimist. Like, yeah, if we have a good day, I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. But like, let's see what tomorrow brings. You know? Yep. It's hard. Uh, you are a world-renowned traveling speaker on the power of understanding your P&L. Give us your <laughs> motivational quote. Only do it if you love it. Only do it if you love it. That's very true for the hospitality industry. And people do love it. I feel like we've been kind of like, you know, somber tone (laughs) in this episode. Because there are some really super hard realities. But the truth of the matter is, it's like, why do you go to work every day, Nate? Because... Yeah, I love it. Because you love it, right? So so there is still a reason to have a restaurant and start a business, even though there are tough realities. There are tough realities, but... There are also success stories, right? right. And, you know, let's not uh, let's not like only talk about the fact you know ninety percent of restaurants fail, but what about that ten percent? And like, if you're not pursuing that dream, then why do it anyway? Yeah. Right. Um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, which, and I thought um, I'll go ahead and ask a question. Most important line <laughs> item everyone should know in their P and L. Top of their heads. I've, I've like trying to think of a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, most important line item on the PL. I can answer this for you because I think you said Music it when we were. Music and entertainment. Music and entertainment. <laughs> but I think it, when we were having dinner earlier, Labor. dinner earlier, you yeah. said there was no line item that you oh, could yeah. possibly overlook because the margins are that small. So there is, yeah. they're all important. They're all important. Very important. Even music and entertainment. <laughs> yes. Your, your $10 Spotify. Right uh, <laughs> but that's a real cost, too. Yeah, your $10 yeah. a month Spotify account that you're like probably not supposed there to be using. There has to be an ROI yeah. on it some right. kind of way, right? Yeah. Jim? What, what's your favorite item on the Gertie menu right now? Ooh. Wow. Changes every day. Um... The menu changes every day, or your favorite no, item? No, my changes favorite every item day? changes. <laughs> so, what was it today? Day. Today, it was rotisserie potatoes. Ooh, oh. that does sound so good. So, la- yeah, last night we did this event, and. Do you put each potato on like a spinning wheel? No, it, like, it sits in it's the basket. rotisserie in a basket, ah, and the chickens. Genius. You know, drip the chickens on drip on the potatoes. Oh, yeah. And we served it good. with caper aioli. Yeah. Are those on the menu all the time? No. Uh, so go to Gertie. Go to Gertie. It's like McDonald's special sauce. Yeah, sounds so good. I feel like it's probably good. better than McDonald's yeah, special no. sauce. Yeah, no I offense wouldn't. to McDonald's special sauce, but <laughs> I think it's. I think you're selling yourself short. I think on CRT, that. your chef is like, <laughs> come on, man. No, I, yeah, I think you would appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and so that's your favorite item. What's the most ordered item on the menu? The egg and cheese sandwich. Oh. Not surprising. But it's hard to say, like, which egg and cheese sandwich because we give you a lot of different options. Mm. Um, yeah. And last one, what has been the biggest oh shit or, like, oh wow moment? It could be oh shit in a bad way. I think you're going to take it in a bad way because no, you I, just were a self proclaimed <laughs> pessimist, but it could like be I a need, positive one. Your most positive I'll give you moment. Both. I'll give you both. Please. Um, oh shit moment. I think the biggest oh shit moment so far, which hopefully will end up being like a positive, being positive in the end, <laughs> was we got um, reviewed by the infatuation and they were like, 
it's amazing during the day, but dinner leaves something to be desired. And I think up until this point, we've been sort of beating around this bush of like, dinner isn't really working. What are we going to do? What are we going right. to do? What are we going to do? Then this happened, said definitively some untrue things about how good menu items are, which I've had like every night and know they're amazing. And other people have told me so. Right. That being said, like there's a fundamental, there were some fundamental like uh, deficiencies and we're now like, on a path to to fix them and make it better and i'm super excited about that so you know in the moment something like that just like stings stings yeah Yeah. it's like big time but then you sort of like reflect and and realize like maybe there's some some truth to it and no matter what like there's truth to everyone's opinion and you have to take it seriously that's true i mean you live and you learn even if it's in a review that you don't agree with there's always something to be learned from so and that 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 oh wow moment um i think what was oh wow honestly just getting the doors open um i think for me Huertas was like my stepchild to an extent. Jonah had actually given him all the credit where credit is due, like signed the lease, got the GC on board, raised the first bit of capital, and that was a turnkey restaurant. Right. So there wasn't like this major, um, it wasn't as massive as a, as a build-out project. And um, I was a part of that construction, but not like pretty peripherally. Um, and so it didn't feel like I had been working on it like as my life work. Right. This felt like my life work and I was project managing the thing for the last four months and we hit every single possible bump in the road, whether it was like not having a gas line or... They had to bring Nate's gas, by the way, just so people are aware of what happened, they had to bring Nate's gas from like six blocks away underground underground it's really in, easy to do that in new york city <laughs> it's, it's a walk in it's a walk no in the deal. park you just uh, run a pipe yeah so that and department of buildings um and the certificate of occupancy and liquor license and this and that and like finally the day came where we were going to open the doors and people showed up yeah that's always a good feeling is welcoming your first guests um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think thank you. we'll. This was great. This was super fun. We'll just do a quick wrap up. Um, we always like to shout out restaurants that are opening soon. Cool. Um, so Gertie did relatively recently open soon. So if you haven't been to Gertie and you live in New York, go see them in Williamsburg. Or Brooklyn. even if you don't. Or even if you don't, don't and you're visit visiting yeah. in yep. New York, call them, order delivery, <laughs> get the potatoes. <laughs> With the special Potato, sauce. Special sauce. Um, and they're located on Marcy and Grand in Williamsburg. Um, another one we wanted to shout out is Houndstooth in Michigan, who um, is a sister and a brother chef team, and they're opening in early August. Cool. Cool. Um, special thanks again to Nate Adler. Uh, if you spilled your triple espresso on your notebook, we've got your back. You can check our blog on tilletnyc.com to catch our wrap-up of key points from the show this week. Um, Nate, one thing we didn't mention is that uh, he does consult in his spare time, which is somewhere between <laughs> midnight and 6 a.m. on Mondays. So Negative 10 if you hours. do want some help and you want some advice, then give Nate a holler. Where can they find you? Where can they find Gertie? Um, Social, emails, email whatever. Me, um, at Nate at... Um, gertie.nyc um, you can hit me up on Instagram definitely on there quite often because I run slide into the DM slide into the DM Nate Jack Adler and um, and where can they find Gertie, Gertie on Instagram is Gertie, Gertie is Gertie NYC on Instagram um, I, I run it most of the time so if um, you appreciate it slide into the dms let me know <laughs> um you can order hala on there right Hala's now on somebody Instagram. did it yes today yeah, really i that. love it so it's, a whole, uh, it's a whole new world people hala on instagram what do you think dad um, <laughs> He's like, silent. i don't have instagram <laughs> Absolutely silent. dad doesn't know what instagram is <laughs> yeah. all right this is our final episode of our yeah. first season so congrats, congrats thank everybody you. thank you so much thank you for um everything. 
we've gone through a decent amount of the business plan and next season we'll come back with uh, a little bit deeper dive we'll be able to answer some questions that we missed so if there's topics or ideas or things that you feel like we missed then definitely reach out to us and let us know um Again, follow us on Heritage Radio, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at TillitMYC. And give us an amazing review because we did a great job this season. Congrats. <laughs> Our first. Pat season. on the back. Yay. All right. Thank you so much cool. for being here Thank for the last episode. So Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.